0: I'm joined today by Nikki Frobisher. Nikki is a facilitator and coach specializing in leadership and management skills and business coaching. Nikki came to coaching through her degree in mathematics and an early career in IT working for IBM, Procter & Gamble, SG Warburg, and Chase Manhattan Bank. When not coaching, Nikki can be found outdoors on a paddleboard, swimming in the River Thames because she lives in Windsor, or most often on a bike. As an advocate of active travel, She's helped to establish a community cycling charity and has taught many adults and children to cycle. So welcome, Nikki.
1: Oh, thank you very much, Trayton. And uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast.
0: It's a real pleasure. And I know in this session, Nikki, we're going to talk about and explore imposter syndrome. So to get uh, the thing started and give our listeners an understanding, could you just from your own perspective and experience, how would you describe imposter syndrome?
1: Yes, well, the, the term imposter syndrome, it was first coined by some clinical psychologists, um, Dr. Pauline Clance and uh, Dr. Suzanne Um, when they published a paper on it in 1978. And what they noticed was that many of their highly successful clients who were medical and PhD students didn't feel worthy of their achievements and thought that they'd been admitted to college by mistake. Um, So I've noticed that there's a similar pattern um, in some of the clients that I uh, work with. And um, it's a pattern of thinking that can turn into a bit of a negative cycle. So, for example, not speaking up in meetings uh, when you have something that you really want to say or or not applying for a promotion when you feel that, you know, actually you, you could get it. So we have imposter syndrome when we underestimate our capabilities and knowledge. And we feel a bit of a fraud and worry that sometimes um, somebody's going to find you out. This is despite all the evidence to the contrary.
0: Yeah. OK. No, interesting. And and is it I guess is it linked then to and could be show up as a lack of confidence or lack of self-esteem or presence? How does it sort of show up and other words that you might use when or understand that imposter syndrome is is there, is present?
1: Yeah, so it's very much it's rooted in our beliefs and fears. So these are formed in our early life, um, such as a fear of failure or a belief that we should be able to do or know everything. So for example, if we had parents who overemphasized achievement, or if we always aim for 100% in school tests, we can yeah. start to set up expectations that are impossible to achieve in adult life, you know, in the real world. Um, and when we can't live up to these standards, we can then feel anxious or stressed or sometimes even ashamed for not achieving them. Um, And so that can be some of the things that we feel. And then the behaviours that stem from that can often be things like procrastination or over-preparation. And both of those are different ways of coping with perfectionism. Um, And and that often comes with a a low self-esteem and and a concern that we're not the right person. So yes, it's definitely, as you said.
0: So it comes from, I guess, a historical place of our childhood and I guess our, our sort of history of things we may be asked to do or things that we may feel we've failed at, or other things that give us that feeling of inadequacy, is what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. Um, it can also come from uh, when we feel excluded from a group. So maybe by not being listened to or not being included, um, this can sort of fuel a sense of not belonging. and And that can last throughout our lives sometimes.
0: Yeah. OK. OK. Interesting. And I guess from my own experience of coaching, I'm, I mean, I see all of those things all the time with with most coaches, if not all of them, it's there. You know, when people, uh, and it's an honour to be in a room and they do share their vulnerabilities and express their, their feelings and their emotions. Um, so, you know, it's, it's obviously present, but we're giving it here, I guess, in some ways we're giving it a, a label
1: yes exactly And i guess whenever
0: we label something there's always a danger there because people go i've got imposter syndrome or they put themselves okay. in that box which straight away sort of limits their their views or perspective or beliefs in in what they can or, or can't do as, as case might be so just unpack that a little bit more for because it's quite a broad statement that we've we've used there and just if we can narrow that down
1: you're right, uh, we, can, we can start to label ourselves or label our coaches, and that, that's not always helpful. However, if people are finding that they aren't uh, acknowledging their imposter syndrome, if they have it, then they can sometimes get a bit stuck. So just understanding that they're not alone, um, that it's quite normal to feel like this. In fact, um, there was a KPMG study that found that 75% of female executives across all industries have experienced imposter syndrome at some point in their careers. So it's actually quite a normal thing, but actually something that we can work towards uh, getting rid of and, and moving beyond. And actually, I've worked with lots of women in executive roles. So, for example, they're, they're always trying to get just one more qualification uh, to validate mm-hmm. their knowledge mm-hmm. and prove that they're worthy of a job, something that they're already doing perfectly well. And the impact of that is that actually you can overwork, you can, you can be overstressed, you can have too much you can add too much to your plate Um, and sometimes that can cause a drop in performance um, a drop in job satisfaction and then all that energy that's used to worry and overcompensate can lead to burnout so it can actually be quite useful to catch it before that happens
0: okay good well there's a lot of stuff there so if I can just unpick some of that it's interesting you say that it can lead to burnout so I guess it's important both as the coachee, the individual, to notice it and manage it. And we come back to that about, I guess, the question is, how do you manage it yourself or how does a coach help manage it, which is part of our role. Um, The other thing you mentioned, and I don't know if it's just from the study, but again, I hear it spoken more about with females who talk about having imposter syndrome more than males. And I don't know from your own experience or the research you've done, is there a sort of a, a balance in that or is it more tend to be that, that women have imposter syndrome or, or express imposter syndrome symptoms more than, than males?
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head there, that actually women tend to talk about it more often. Mm. I think it's at least anecdotally experienced equally by men and women. And the reaction to it and the behaviours that might be slightly different, uh, but it's definitely the fact that women will talk about it especially to other women and to their coaches that means that we notice it more often
0: yeah no okay and and it's also something that people need to be aware of and manage themselves to stop it going any further to burn out or other uh, other elements and as, as you've said and um, from what I've heard with other people talking about it, it does get in the way of your performance it does potentially slow you down or create interference where you have to work harder. You know, going and get further qualifications and all those other things you spoke about. So, what are some of those approaches that individuals can take, and as a coach, you can provide to help them to address imposter syndrome? Mm,
1: Yes. Well, as as I know from myself, when I start a project, until I feel as though I know enough about it and I can actually, you know, I can see the end, so I Mm. can understand that I can get my hands around it completely. I actually find it really difficult to start it, and so that's my perfectionism and fear of failure coming out as procrastination as so I want to do a really good job and so I just don't do anything until I know I can do it and I often find myself cleaning out a cupboard instead or something like that. Um, so often it's the deadline that makes me start and then I always wish I'd started earlier. Uh, so what I've noticed works well with my clients. There's a perfectionism is first of all give yourself permission to make mistakes so understand that you're not going to be absolutely perfect but build in the learning from your mistakes and apply them to next time so you see it's a continual improvement process rather than having to get it right first time, first time. yeah I that makes sense mm-hmm.
0: so it's like a growth mindset in the sense that i'm going to do this i won't get it wrong i will make mistakes but i can learn from those and be better next
1: time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it just gives you a chance to develop rather than feel as though you're the the finished item already. Right. And with a procrastinator, which is the other part of what I do. Um I don't know if you remember a book by Susan Jeffers called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. <laughs> and uh, I
0: don't know that. So, no, I don't know, but I'll it up and will put it in the show such, notes so people It's can such
1: a good that, phrase. Yeah. It means yeah. just get on with it sometimes. Um yeah. and actually um My son introduced me to the 10 minute rule, which is set yourself a 10 minutes to start and just start and see what happens. And quite often it's breaking that barrier of starting means that you'll carry on. So allow yourself the opportunity to walk away after 10 minutes. Often I don't. I I find myself getting into the piece of work and then and then I'm good to go from then on.
0: Yeah. Okay. I guess my listeners will be saying, how do you get yourself to start that first ten minutes? Because that's the big hurdle, right? Once you start it, you using you know the introduction, it's when once you start to ride a bike, it's it's easier, but getting into that and feeling comfortable in starting it that first ten minutes. So any tips for our listeners for that, Nikki?
1: Yes. Understanding the why you're doing it, what's important about this piece of work, what is it that's motivating you to do it and really try and visualise that end result. How are you going to feel when you've actually achieved it? What uh, are you going uh. to be able to let go of once you've achieved it? It's so all that stress and worry Um, really trying to think about the end really helps you to just take that first step.
0: Yeah. And I use a nice question at this stage, It's very similar to that. You know, what's that going to give me? Yes. Um, yes. because it's gonna, if it's not going to give me something that I really want, the desire to start at that first 10 minutes is not high enough because the reward or what it's going to give me is not valuable enough to start and go through that, my word, not yours, but that pain of that first 10 minutes, because that's the hardest bit, right?
1: Yes, it is the hardest bit. And, and sometimes we can ask, well, what's the worst that could happen? Hmm. And just verbalising that, and you can start to really break down some of those uh, barriers and think about, actually, is that realistic? And even if it is, what, what could you do then? Um, and actually talking about it with somebody can really help you to understand that it's not quite as bad as you think it's going to be.
0: Yeah. And I guess another sort of refinement of that question is, you know, rather than what's the worst thing that could happen is what's the consequences of not doing it?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because there's always a cost of
0: not doing something as well as doing something. Um, So, again, you know, if the consequences are quite negative and it it may get you to sort of step onto that platform, onto that 10 minute space to do that. Um, So that may be another approach as well.
1: Yes. Um, We have other behaviours that sort of come along with uh, imposter syndrome. One manager I worked with, she was feeling really out of her depth in a new role and she started to micromanage every aspect of her team's work and this was to try and regain some control um but her perfectionism was causing stress in the group and starting people were starting to resist and actually ironically her fear of losing control was causing that exact situation
0: yeah okay so you see it come up consequences not just for the coachee but also for those around them certainly if they're a a leader of of individuals yeah okay
1: so it can Um, have wide range in impact yes yeah
0: and I'm curious to just explore when you have a coaching conversation and someone doesn't use the language imposter syndrome Mm. but you know that that's there and we have talked about the labeling we need to be very conscious about labeling Hmm. What what are some of the signs that you notice with your clients where you go, there's an element of imposter syndrome or or consequences of that that's getting in the way of this individual's performance and allowing them to to shine and play their best game?
1: Yes, often it manifests as self-doubt. Um, People get caught in a bit of a cycle thinking, what do other people think of me? Am I good enough? Am I going to be able to demonstrate my skills, my abilities? Have I got the skills and abilities? And um, people can sometimes seek reassurance and praise. And then once they have that, they then dismiss it because they think, well, actually, you know, I don't quite believe that. Hmm. Um, so I found that the best way of tackling this is for people to ask for feedback with evidence,
0: okay. so something
1: tangible that they can really see. And, hmm. and even if it highlights your weak spots, it can give you something to work with and it can give you real information that you can keep hold of um, so that you can start to build a picture that other people see of you, not just how you see yourself.
0: Yeah, and um, well, I guess with the feedback, as you say, it's sort of th- third party data. Mm. Um, so it, it's the perception or facts from another party, which then helps you to reposition, have a new perception about actually the facts of the impact or what you're doing in, in that environment, which then helps you, I guess, build up a uh, more confidence to be able to go and do those things that you thought you might not be able to.
1: Absolutely. And um, I've got an example of a client who he was doing a a lot of people pleasing (laughs) in the sense that he had a he had um, a a client and he would answer their requests within minutes, even though the SLA was 24 hours, um, which was great service for the client. But it meant that my coach, he had no time in between the requests to do the planning for the next project. And he felt that he would be letting people down if he didn't respond straight away. So after working together, we first of all identified that he what he really wanted was to give a high quality long term service. And he explored those limiting beliefs, which were that the client would be annoyed or upset with a longer response time and actually decided to go and ask for some feedback from the client and they absolutely said no you do a great job but we don't need you to respond quite so quickly Mm -hmm. Um, and it would be fine for you to take a couple of hours, even half a day. And so he then rearranged his working days that he could have some really good quality, deep thinking time in the morning um, and could do all that planning. And then he could, you know, he knew that he could get to deal with all those requests in the afternoon. So that feedback really helped him to understand what it was like from other people's perspective. And it allowed him to let go of that anxiety that came with wanting to be on top of things all the time.
0: And the word that's sort of coming to the surface for me, Nikki, here is expectations. Yes. So expectations that I have of myself, expectations that I perceive others have of me, and wanting to constantly meet those expectations. And I guess the imposter piece is not thinking that I'm meeting any of those. Or if I am meeting those, how do I achieve that? Because I, I just don't know. So the expectation piece and Managing the internal and external elements of that, it sounds like a key piece of helping people to reduce, and I use the word reduce rather than remove, reduce the imposter syndrome elements.
1: Yes, it can be very difficult to remove it altogether. Um, And as we said before, recognising it and being able to put in place a few habits that can help you to, Reduce it can be really helpful, and that that's sort of expectation. That's really high expectation we put on ourselves is really hard, and we'd like to sort of feel as though we can do everything, and we can achieve everything, and we can know everything. And it sometimes it's just not possible. Um, and one of the ways of counteracting that actually is to learn something completely new, to expand your horizons, and to realise that you can't possibly know everything. So then you become a little bit more comfortable with your own level of knowledge. And you might also start to recognise how much you know about your area of expertise. Or even if you're not an expert, just to know that it's okay not to know everything and that there will be other resources out there. And actually, your skills might lie in a slightly different direction.
0: So what we're saying here then, it's a case of finding... Techniques and approaches, feedback, for example, learning a new skill, building your expertise, but realising you're not you don't know everything and you're not expected to know everything. And, and those doing some of those things helps to reduce the impact of imposter syndrome.
1: Yes. I like to use the a SWOT analysis, which is a, a simple exercise mm. and it, it can really help people to understand um what their strengths are because listing them out is not something we do very often actually mm. saying I'm quite good at that I'm quite good at listening I'm quite good at speaking to people and then when they look at their weaknesses often they're an overplayed strength and yep. if you dial it back 10% you bring it back into your strengths column and those opportunities and threats can also help you to understand how you're using your strengths and actually maybe where you can look for some opportunities to uh, go in a new direction or to uh, demonstrate your abilities or really use the bit of your skill set that works for you and not feeling as though you have to meet somebody else's expectation all the time
0: yeah no the SWOT analysis it's a, it's a classic model I, I like mm-hmm. you I use it a lot of the time both on individuals and with teams, actually, and, yes. and organizationally, it's, it's it's a great tool. And what I notice is people will fill out the weaknesses. Oh, I'm not very good at this, yeah. or I can't do this, you know, and then, you know, just switching that around, say, OK, you can't do this, but what can you do to make it a strength or something that's something they can leverage and, and utilise and, you know, use as a resource? So it's a very simple tool. And in your toolkit and plethora of experience, what other tools would you say you find yourself using regularly with those that, you know, show up with imposter syndrome and want to talk into a lot of those areas we've spoken about?
1: I think it's uh, something that is quite useful is understanding their own values and knowing what drives them and what's important to them. And sometimes that can start to uncover some of the reasons why you might have this this feeling of being an imposter. Um, It can also then help to really understand your own boundaries so what's important to you what's your priorities um how can you then decide whether when somebody else asks you to take on some more work for example whether that's whether you're going to add it to your list or whether you can happily say no and understanding your boundaries really helps you not to overcommit. Yeah. and stops you stops that people pleaser reaction where you just say oh yes yes of course i'll do it
0: yeah, and it's it's incredible how many people I work with uh, on a coaching relationship who find it difficult to say no.
1: As really you really said
0: that. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. incredible because they want to they want to please. They, as you say, people pleaser. They want to do their best job. They want to succeed. But um, going back to what you said earlier, it's it's sometimes they set too higher expectations, so they're, they're doomed to fail because they they never reach that.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I uh, I practice saying yes and instead of no, because I'm also one of those people who finds it difficult to say no. And the yes and I find really useful because I could say, yes, I could do it. And the consequence will be I'll have to put something else to one side or it's going to add to my stress levels. And if you still want me to do it, then I can carry on. <laughs> but knowing that they might then say, actually, it's not that important. And, and you,
0: what I'm picking up, Nick, is having this conversation is that you talk from a place of, of knowing, not mm. just because you understand imposter syndrome, but you, I sense you have it as well, if that's the right term. Would I be correct in that, just noticing that?
1: I definitely have experienced imposter syndrome. Experienced, and it's, yeah. uh, Yes, it's it comes in waves. Um, I think the first time I probably properly experienced it was when I went to um, college to study maths and it was back in those days quite a male-dominated world Mm. and I really did think that I wasn't in the right place um, because my approach to it was quite different to other people's but actually that um, problem solving and pattern recognition is what I really love Mm. and and I found that I could do it in you know in a slightly different way but still successfully but for a long time I did think what am I doing here and 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 should I be here
0: yeah so thank you for sharing that and, and if you don't mind it, I think it'd be useful for our listeners and please say no because from what you said there <laughs> <laughs> um, just to because that's obviously a journey you've been on to mm. and I guess you learned maths at school or yes. college yeah so A couple of years back, shall we say, Nikki? A
1: few years back, yes.
0: A few years back, yeah. How have you personally managed to reduce or or manage some of the um, feelings and emotions and constraints that imposter syndrome has given you?
1: I think one of the things that's worked really well for me is understanding that people don't think and worry about my skills as much as I do. and actually it takes a little bit of the pressure off to know that actually I'm good enough I might not be 100% at something but I can do a good enough job and actually I gives me a bit of space to learn some more so there's always learning room and I think that's given me permission to do what I do without having to be 100% perfect
0: and I guess that's the real number of this thing isn't it that realizing and believing that you're good enough and and yes. if if we can help our coaches to get to that point where they believe they're good enough but they can also learn and continue to learn and life's a continuous learning journey then that's that's where I guess we really start as coaches to reduce the impacts of imposter syndrome
1: absolutely and and if it's it's similar to um tackling a project that actually if you try and complete it All at once to 100%, you're going to get stuck in all the detail. Whereas if you start and work in increments, so you start with the core outcome that you need and then add layers of detail as you go, um, it means that you can give equal attention to the beginning and the end and you can really start to build on those complexities. And if you think about that for yourself as well, that you don't need to. Be a complete person in terms of your achievements or in terms of your work, for example. And that actually you can you can as long as you can do the core work, you can add those layers of detail as you go.
0: Yeah. OK. So it's just one step at a time. And, and yes. appreciation, these things take time to sort yeah. of undo in some degrees, but also to build up and start believing and putting core steps in place to reinforce and um, those elements. Great. So are you able, without breaching confidentiality, of course, you, you gave a good example of uh, a, a male you worked with, with imposter syndrome and him getting feedback from an external about the customer service. Are yes. there any other case studies, so to speak, that you can give where imposter syndrome showed up and the approach that you took and the, the success that you had with those clients?
1: Yes, so um, I have actually quite a lot of clients who have similar Behaviors. Um, one in particular would draft an email and then rewrite it a number of times before sending. And this was just uh, an example of the sort of behaviors that he would do in, in all parts of his um, his work. He would he would over prepare in order to be able to make sure that he had it absolutely nailed. Um, and sometimes it was just a quick message to say, "Can we have a meeting?" And he would rewrite it and spell check. And actually, it was a disproportionate amount of effort going into every piece of work. And he really, it, um, it really helped him to see that link between overpreparedness and perfectionism, and actually the fact that he could let go a little bit of that control. Mm. And actually it would release him from a lot of the effort and energy that he's putting in. And he could then use that energy to be even more productive somewhere else. And so it was really thinking about repositioning where he put his efforts and energy um, to the best effect. And and a lot of that was understanding what was really important to him. And was the absolute detail, 100% outcome important or was it important to get a good service for the client for his for his client, yeah. um, which could mean doing a little bit more of everything, but maybe not doing it to hundred percent. Mm.
0: It's interesting you say that because as you were talking, I could relate to that personally because I yeah. I like to I guess the word would be finesse simple emails, um, yeah. and certainly when I write a proposal or a longer document for a client, I want to make sure it's absolutely perfect. Yes. Um, But actually, most of the time the client comes back and says, yeah, thanks. And and there's (laughs) a short response. You think, well, I could have done that in a quarter of the time. And so it's it is about managing that sort of and and good question. I I don't know where that comes from or why I do that, apart from wanting to to get it right. So I guess that's just listening to you and I'm reflecting for myself here about how that might get in my way. And as you say, pull a lot of energy and refocusing that not just on the task but on the people around me as well. Yes. So are there any other case studies? Because I, I think this really brings alive, you know, um the coaching and some of the challenges that, that we face as coaches and obviously you face quite well sounds like quite regularly with your clients.
1: Yeah, so I worked with um I've worked with some students, which are quite interesting group because they're often high achievers. Um they often have Um, high expectations, Um, especially if they're PhD students, they um, can can feel as though they've already achieved an awful lot. And and actually landing their PhD itself is, is a huge achievement. And then, of course, they are setting themselves up and setting their expectations to, you know, get the next Nobel Peace Prize or something, not Peace Prize, Nobel Prize for their work because they think, you know, of course, it's really important. And of course, it's really um, relevant to them. And they're very invested in it. But that sort of sets them off on a bit of a journey um, through, first of all, thinking that they're going to be amazing, that they've got lots of knowledge and lots of uh, information to share with people. And in fact, they can sometimes go into the opposite of imposter syndrome, which is the Dunning Kruger effect. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's I where you're...
0: so please explain if you <laughs> mind.
1: So it's 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 where your um your knowledge and your abilities actually and um, we overestimate them compare, <laughs> compared compared oh, to okay, okay. you know so so we have more more confidence than we should do in our knowledge in our um in our skills, and and that often is the start of a of the phd process you think yes it's gonna be brilliant and i'm I'm gonna do an amazing piece of research and then as time goes on and they start to submit a few papers and get the feedback they realize how they've only just scratched the surface on this massive topic and how actually they're never going to be able to achieve as much as they can
0: yeah
1: in the time that they've got and that sort of sends them into that imposter syndrome place where actually they feel quite um, despondent about it lose a lot of their motivation think why am I doing this I'm not good enough I can't possibly achieve anything and, um, mm-hmm. and and you've got to try and find a balance in there somewhere it's it's figuring out how to get that happy medium so that you don't end up in one extreme or the other
0: yeah, so it's interesting. So there's another end of the spectrum to the imposter syndrome, which is my words, but arrogance and sort of big headed and overconfident. That, And again, I sometimes see that show up in clients, um, mainly male clients, actually men clients. So that's an interesting one. But I've also noticed that when we take individuals through coach training, become qualified as coaches, that they come on day one and, and sort of, yeah, of course, I can listen. Of course, I can do this and have a coaching. I just need to get the qualification because I can coach. And then you start to bring them in and, and give them an understanding about actually what is great listening. What's that all about? Asking a great question, being less directive, you know being a non-directive approach. They go, wow, I, I didn't know I this. And, and then suddenly you say, oh, I'm not. They, they go into that phase of I'm not good enough. Yeah. So, and that's in a short period. So you can see we're sort of that sort of yeah, I'm okay. I I've got this. Just, just let's go through the process to oh, I, how, what am I doing here? I don't know any of this, and I don't know how to do this. So I, I see that in that in the programs we run.
1: It's it's really interesting. Is I think we a lot of us go through that process, especially when we're right. learning something new. Adam Grant has written a book called Think Again: The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. Okay, and yep, nice. he describes a middle ground and it's called confident humility. And that's all about having belief in our capacity whilst appreciating that we might not have the right solution or the whole solution. And it's all about being open to learning more. So it's balancing up those two ends of the spectrum and feeling that, yes, we can do it. yep. And we will have to learn more whilst we're on that journey.
0: So that middle ground seems to be a real sweet spot. You know, that confident humility. Yes. Um, and I will we'll put all these books into the the the, um, the notes so people can to that. I've not heard of that book, but I love that term. You know, confident humility. It sounds a great place to be,
1: um, yes. rather
0: than either end of the other spectrum, if if we can call it a spectrum.
1: Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's something we're all striving for, isn't it? So it's uh, yeah. it, it's good to be able to put a, a phrase to it and uh, it allows us not to waver too often from one end to the other.
0: Yeah. Well, Nikki, thank you for sharing the case studies and thank you for sharing your experience of not only your personal experience of imposter syndrome, but working with your clients with it and giving some real understanding about, you know, what it is how it impacts individuals um, and the effect that it can have on their performance and, and I guess on their lives, their personal lives. It just gets in the way sometimes on, on a number of things. Um, yes. But sadly, time's got the better of us well, for the content. But I do have a question, which I ask all my guests before they go. And at Coaching Focus, we have a very simple purpose, which is coaching for a better tomorrow. So from your perspective as a as professional coach and, and with great experience you've got, What does coaching for a better tomorrow mean to you?
1: I always think that people have uh, the capacity to grow and to understand themselves and be happier and more confident as a result of that. And my coaching, I help people to find courage and help them to take the next step towards their better tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah
0: fantastic to enable them to be better yeah yeah lovely well Nikki thank you and thank you for the great work that you do with us and helping you know our clients to be better and thank you for the outline of imposter syndrome uh, and, and thank you very much
1: it's been a pleasure thank you very much for having me on today